0: Hey, it's Freddie Cruz, and I've made it my job to share with you the stories of the individuals, businesses, and organizations that make the greater Houston area great. Hey, it's Freddie Cruz. Hey, it's Freddie Cruz, and I've made it my job to share with you the stories of the individuals, businesses, organizations, and places that make the greater Houston area great. One such place is up in North Houston. It's the National Museum of Funeral History. As you may know, I operate a podcast production agency. They are one of my clients. Their show is called The Final Curtain Never Closes, and it's hosted by my friend, President and CEO of the Museum, Genevieve Kini vasquez She recently invited me to be a guest on her show for their September 11th anniversary episode, and that's what you're gonna hear. During this conversation, Genevieve and I discuss mourning as a nation, the importance of mourning our lost loved ones, and you're going to hear an incredibly harrowing story of a father and son who lost their lives on 9-11-2001. Learn more about the museum at nmfh.org and subscribe to their show The Final Curtain Never Closes wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a, uh, a month that I know that we all remember, unfortunately, all too well. Uh, the month of September for me is bittersweet. It's my birth month, but at the same time, it's a month that I will never forget historically. Uh, you know, September 11th is a date that I think is probably the um, most impactful day in so many people's lives. And I speak to that because we have an exhibit here at the National Museum of Funeral History uh, where we honor those who lost their lives uh, in the tragic events of September 11th. And um, we remember that day and all those who were heroes that day to try and help those in need. Uh, So today we're going to talk about a little bit on not only what September 11th means to me, uh, but what September 11th means to us as a nation, to us as Americans and just human beings in general. And I was going to do this podcast pretty much by myself and talk to you all and, and tell you Stuff about it that I remember. And um, I began having a little bit of a conversation uh, with my producer here, uh, Freddie Cruz. And I thought to myself, September 11th impacted you as well. It impacted all of us. So I would like to welcome Freddie Cruz, my producer, to join me on this podcast today because he too can reflect on that day.
0: It's 22 years now that it's since it's happened. Doesn't it
1: seem like yesterday?
0: It seems like yesterday. All the time. Especially when you're a parent, and I know you're a parent also. Yes. And so you subtract those years.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, some of us have kids that weren't even born yet, but then some were toddlers, and I'm sure they're now learning it in their history books or have learned it. And yeah, they would be 22 years old now.
0: Yeah. And you think about the, the little kids who who lost their parents or their grandparents or aunts uncles and they they didn't get a chance to say goodbye or in in some cases they were their infants and so they don't there's no memory at all of these people.
1: Yeah, there's no memory of the person itself, but there'll always be a memory of the incident. Right. Yeah, cuz it'll be talked about for for years to come. It's it's it is a part of our history. It's it's written in stone basically. Mr. Bedeker, our chairman now. He had come up to me one day and he said, you know, in the warehouse, we have all these black bags, um, trash bags, if you will. They're, you know, I, and, I, and I don't want to belittle that by saying that it's, you know, it is, it's a trash bag, but it was used to protect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I say a black bag, I'm referring to a trash bag, a plastic bag, so everyone can understand and visualize what I'm speaking to. And he said, we have... Hundreds of these um, boxes that are wrapped up in trash bags in the back, and um, and I and I they just have been there for years, and I and I was very curious as to what they were, and I had never opened them. And by that time, I had been working here for um, eleven years, and I had some volunteers, and we had this large classroom. And I said, "Open up all these boxes. I want to know what's in them," and in hundreds of boxes, there were memorial books that were signed on September 12th Mm. across the entire nation. Because when September 11th happened, it became a nation in grief. And it affected all of us worldwide. And so um, Mr. Waltrip Seen the magnitude that the ripple effect that this had. And he had requested that every single one of his funeral homes around the nation and to include Canada, to put a memorial book out for people to come and express their condolences to the, all of the lives that were lost that day. And we're talking about complete strangers. People mm-hmm. didn't know, but their death affected us all. And we, um, unbeknownst to me, we're, was, we were holding history in our hands uh, in a way that, that I don't even think people realized that existed. And I said, wow, this is something that needs to be given honor and respect. And I ended up cult, uh, curating an exhibit for the 15th anniversary of 9-11. And I had so many memorial books that I was able to build two Twin Towers out of them.
0: How long did it take for you to get through all, all of the material and and to decipher people's handwriting? Because that's another factor that you don't really take into consideration yeah. if, because you can go from ideation, which is a genius idea, to do it. But then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Now I got to, mm, Susie and Bob don't have good handwriting. And I said, Bob, not realizing Bob Bedecker. and Bob, I'm not talking to you, Uh, but yeah, Susie and, and John.
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it wasn't so much about having to read the handwriting. There were, there were, it was interesting. Some of the books I would open up and literally there were uh, uh, handprint cutouts uh, where you could see like an elementary school had draw, had drawn photos of, of and making condolence cards. A whole classroom. I had a whole classroom of young kids in elementary school. Somehow they 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 took all of those cards and, and took them to the funeral home. They ended up in these memorial books. And they as I as I was opening these books, the story was starting to be told to me in a, in a very different way. And I am Unfortunately, you know, when I'm curating exhibit, I really have to dive in and do a lot of research. And 15 years later, there was a lot of, uh, you know, information at my fingertips. I could get more uh, fine tuned into the facts and the timelines mm-hmm. and, and really understand how that day unfolded yeah. and the events that took place right after. And, in the, and I won't lie. There were some nights in my office where I was like, well, this is too heavy. I've got to back off a little bit. I need a little bit of a break.
0: That's saying a lot too, because you, do more than operate the, the museum.
1: Yeah. I, I curate the exhibits. I do the research behind them. So I make sure that the, the facts are being told yeah. uh, when people come in and, and see them.
0: And all the other stuff too. You're a palliative nurse and you're a funeral director. So I mean, this is, yeah. you know,
1: yeah. Death is my life basically. You right. Know? And, and so, even then. But even then it yeah. can get too much for me. And, yeah. and, and knowing my limits and, my, and and where my boundary is, you know, so that I can back it off a little bit. And so as I was going and, and learning all this information, at the same time, I'm trying to uh, envision how how do I put this exhibit together and do it justice and honor and respect and tell the story as hard as this story is to tell. And I'm very proud of that exhibit. It, it was a temporary exhibit, but it, it will come back in the 25th anniversary. So in three years, that exhibit will come back out again. I will rebuild that exhibit. But I have to say probably one of the most memorable uh, parts that I came across that ended up, I, which ended up leading me to another element of information that I needed to put into the exhibit was in, I believe it was October or November, I had a memorial book and i came across it and there was a memorial folder inside the book and it was um, a, a father and a son and i looked at it and i said i immediately i said oh my goodness i said i think we have a family's memorial book that accidentally got put in to this group of 911 memorial books
0: so a non 911 family's
1: that's Oops. what I thought mm. when I when I opened it because mm. it had the memorial folder of a father and a son. Mm-hmm. And now mind you, I'm I'm going through hundreds of books. Yeah. And so this one stood out from the rest.
0: So they don't all look the same after you're in the flow of going through all these things.
1: Well, they do because you well they you be- can kind of see mm-hmm. how uh, you can understand how the memorial book that's set out, and you can see the dates, right? September eleven or uh, September twelve, oh, okay, September yeah. thirteen, September four. You can see that these are all books that were signed in September, mm-hmm. right? Because there was a I also came across the memorandum that said, uh, "Please have all your memorial books mailed to nineteen twenty nine Allen Parkway." Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was the end of October was when all these books were to be mailed. And, and they were, that was the collection point for all these mm-hmm. books. And so when I came across this one in October, when most of the books were kind of completed in September, I had this one in October and I, and it had, like I said, this memorial folder of this, this father and son in it. And immediately I thought, oh my gosh, a family's book is in this massive box of 9-11 memorial tributes and so I said, I've, I've got to return this book. This book has to get returned to the family. And so I started doing my research on their, the, the family who, you know, typed their names in and come to find out that they were a father and son sitting next to each other on one of the planes. and And I was so moved by that. And, and it was during my research is where I learned exactly where they were sitting on the planes. So I actually was able to print out the manifest to see where they were actually sitting. And it became part of the exhibit showing, you know, put it to me. It, it was so impactful that I thought this has to be shown that, you know, it, it, I don't know. I, I think at that moment, I kind of got to know two of the people there. Yeah. And 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 the, the story was being told. And it was what happened was is that the family had a memorial to them finally in October. So it was the actual memorial that the family held for them as victims that lost their lives on that day. And they became part of the exhibit as a as two people that had faces you
0: talk about feeling as though you got to know two people personally who died. And as you recount that story, I'm thinking of how I see myself as a parent in the absolute worst case scenario. Yeah. With your kid. Yeah. And, and to perish with them and to perish with them. I think about death. It's not my living, but I think about death quite often and I've accepted it. And I think you and I have, have spoken about death before on a previous podcast interview. Um, and so I've heard you talk about it before. It's not death that we're scared of. It's the dying part.
1: It's how we die, how we die. Yeah. Are we going to suffer? Is it, uh, is it going to be quick? Are we going to know it's coming? It's, it's, it's all of that. And, And there have been many of times that I, and I countless times, and and I've done this since a child, is try to put myself into the place of that person that is meeting their demise in that moment. It's like, did they know what what went through their mind? Um, Was it fast enough that they had no no ability to process a thought behind it?
0: You know, it's going to happen to your kids one way or another you hope to God that it doesn't happen and they depart the earth before you. Yet here we are, a son and his dad at the exact same moment. And so I wonder if that doesn't bring somebody some sort of level of comfort. Well, at least we won't suffer and we know we're meeting our demise and it's gonna be quick.
1: Yeah, it it, kind of, just like you're curious as to what goes through their mind in that moment, but at the same time, um, you know, there's, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, let me let me do a a, set, a, a side step, if you will. Sure. Um, you know, since it's kind of along these lines, when I was in the military, uh, they were giving out the vaccine for anthrax, mm. and um, and I and I, and and of course, they were only giving the anthrax out to the service members because anthrax was a threat uh, to to our nation and you know to our fighting forces. And so I just remember I went to my coworkers and I said, well, aren't you going to vaccinate the family's members? And they were like, no, only the service members. And I said, well, then I don't want it. Mm. I said, because if they're going to attack us with anthrax, the worst thing I want to do is out-survive my family. Mm-hmm. The, the Just the thought that my family would die from this you know chemical warfare and i would survive i I don't want that i don't want to out survive my children yeah from that type of tragedy Mm -hmm. you know and so thinking along the lines that if you know you know if we had to part um from our children i would like to part with my children yeah. You I know? guess
0: that's where I was going. Mm-hmm. Because you already know that there we all are going to we're all gonna die. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, if you were able to have that conversation with your maker. Yeah, exactly. And say, hey. But then uh, you, you know, know, you
1: gotta you gotta remember that this father and son died tragically together. Right. But you know that there's a mother that was left behind. And
0: that's where it starts to That's get That's
1: where it starts to get very painful. Yes. You know, when you start, you know, there's that that there's there's a little sense of of like, oh, they went together, a comfort in knowing they went together. But then there's that pain right behind it that says, mm-hmm. but what about the mother? Yes, and Because now the mother has to live with the fact that she's lost both of them.
0: And what if this was a trip where they ended up on a plane and she at the last minute couldn't go and then she's got that survivor's
1: guilt? Oh, yes. and survivor's guilt is very rare Uh, sorry survivor's guilt is very real and i think that there's a lot of times that people don't understand Mm -hmm. um what it is and and what it's supposed to feel like but survivor's guilt doesn't go away it it, i think it stays with you for your lifetime
0: you're haunted by it yeah it's haunting yes you wake up every day and they're not there and i mean what and we don't, I don't know. I, I clearly don't know the story of these, of this family.
1: Yeah. I don't know the the story of the family beyond the fact of where they sat on the plane uh, <sighs> and that there was a memorial service held for them in October. Yeah. Um, that's, that's as far as I know. Um. But, you know, we all, I think, you know, we, we were talking earlier about how we get desensitized to death in whole, right? Yeah. Um through constant news feeds of death. And, you know, just recently, for some reason, there's been this feed coming up on my emails every morning. And the top story is somebody murdered somebody, somebody killed somebody. It's, it's death, 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 death every day. And and I'm I'm hypersensitive to that stuff. You know, if you watch the news, I can tell you the first five to seven minutes of that is all about death. Mm-hmm. That has occurred in our city or in our nation somewhere. But death happens every day. So, undoubtedly, we're consistently exposed to it. But to what level are we exposed to it? And when I say what level is, are we just hearing it and allowing it to pass us by because we hear it all the time? We know it's there, but we don't want to address it. But then when it happens to us, it's so impactful. It's like a freight train out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But if you would really sit down in a quiet moment and think about it, it can be very profound and very deeply seated because you're facing your own mortality.
0: Yeah. And you had Haley Campbell on an earlier episode. I had the chance to talk to her late last year and the st- there is a statistic from her book, All the Living and the Dead, where she breaks down how many deaths happen around the world within the course of 24 hours and within one hour of just us being here. And yeah. you think about somebody taking their final breath, one or two people, or however many it is, I forget the stat, but before the from minute one to minute 45 or however long this episode goes, there will be people that die.
1: Yeah. Right now, as we talk, you know, there's somebody dying last but- hour. Yeah, last hour.
0: There are funerals all over the world happening
1: all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but on the contrary, just as there's death happening, every minute there's also birth yeah. happening. It's the cycle of life if you think of it, you know. There's babies being hundreds of babies being born every hour, you know, all around the world. And and at the same time there's just as many deaths happening.
0: Something that makes me think during 9/11 is how certain people can seem to be desensitized to it how some people can be oversensitive to it and then how some people are you know it's they're one way or the other but it's for like 5 minutes and then everything is back to back to normal
1: yeah right exactly huh yeah so yeah. and and i think that is an innate feature within the human exi- the human being itself okay mm-hmm. because you have to think about it we cannot grief and the the uh, the impact a stressful situation has upon the body if you can think about it at a cellular level mm-hmm. okay it causes chemicals and hormones to be triggered and released in the body like cortisol the stress yeah. hormone right yeah yeah exactly um and so um, and, and your adrenaline, like your fight or flight response and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, there's different chemicals that get released in the body that, that are there for our survival, really, truly. And they're there to help us cope with tragic situations or life-threatening situations. But our bodies are not programmed to be able to sustain that level of chemical compound within our blood system bloodstream right and 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 our heart and and organs having to deal with that so it's actually unhealthy for us to maintain that level so you talk about we think about it and then in five minutes later we're on to something else it's almost a coping mechanism and a survival skill at the same time if you think about it because if we didn't then we would all probably be at the bottom of a bottle somewhere none of us would probably get out of bed and the world would cease to exist you know, interesting, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we're talking about how impactful grief is. And we actually have an item in the museum that speaks to that. It's a triple casket. Oh, yes. And this triple casket, you know, we go back and we're talking about being the loss of a child, mm-hmm. right? And the power of the grief that's experienced when a child departs this earth before you. So our triple casket uh, was built by a husband and wife who lost their child to death and their grief was so heavy that they felt they they couldn't, they couldn't continue on. They didn't care. They didn't want to live. So kind of back to what I was saying earlier, I don't want to outlive my children.
0: Most of us don't.
1: Most of us don't. We don't want to outlive our children. And here this family was faced with that fact of outliving their child. And the grief was so heavy. They wanted to join her in death. And so they had a murder-suicide pact. They went to their local funeral director, asked them to have this special casket made and so that all three of them can be buried together. They were going to have the the child exhumed. um, After the casket was created, the murder-suicide was to happen, the the child was to be exhumed, they were all to be buried together and be in eternal rest forever together. And the manufacturing process of the materials getting shipped in because it was a custom piece, it took time. And back then, you know, uh, grief wasn't so talked about as it is today. And they didn't realize that with time, grief does begin to lift. It lessens. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it gets you to a point where you're like, okay, all right. The, the, the cloud is starting to pass. The sun is starting to shine. I can start to, to live life again, and that's exactly what happened to them. the The grief began to lessen, the sun began to shine, and they realized that they did not want to join, join their child in death. And so, thankfully, the the murder suicide never happened. Child is still resting in its uh, you know initial resting place, and the casket uh, sat forever in this factory. Um, until the factory closed and then it was, um, gifted to the museum with the tragic story that thankfully never happened.
0: Beautifully painful, painfully beautiful. Um, and, and here we're talking about the father and son that died tragically on 9-11 and, and bringing it back to, to mourning, not just loved ones, but mourning as a nation.
1: Yeah. And the effect that death truly does have on us all. You know, on nine eleven, it was more of a of attack on us all, right? I mean, yes, it was it was a a large amount of the lives lost. It was heroes lost. Um, It was an unnecessary evil that attacked us all and our livelihood. Um, And I think that that is what resonates and made that ripple effect, and still today we feel that grief.
0: And speaking of of mourning as a nation and as Houstonians, because we are in the Houston area, in the National Museum of Funeral History, and while the 15th anniversary special uh, exhibit is, is gone, and you're bringing back another one for the 25th anniversary, you do have an exhibit featuring some urns.
1: Yes, we have uh, urns that house the ashes of Ground Zero. We were entrusted and um, given the custodian of these urns from the Port Authority of New York. And the the ashes of Ground Zero, um, although you don't, they're not, how would I say it? They're not like one person, in that urn it's 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 ground debris it's it's the stuff it's the ashes from that space so there's so much there it's it's the the entire uh uh calamity of them of it all if you will
0: so it could be remnants of a car remnants of a building remnants of a beam human remains, animal remains, or, or whatever was from that area. And, and well, I feel weird asking.
1: No, it, it would seems be more like- or less just the, um, it's the, I wouldn't you know, no metal because, you know, metal doesn't, doesn't really reduce itself to ash. It's more of, of all of the, um, the stuff that, that can burn and become ash, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, um, the, Everything—the the office supplies, the people, the um, the whatever was in that building—it's—it's it's everything. Yeah. Um, but we know, um, in our heart of hearts, we know that it's the people that matter the most. That's in that urn. Yeah. Yeah. You know the 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 things that are irreplaceable.
0: And a recurring theme of, I guess, just when it comes to people who work in the death care industry, and I've spent enough time with you um, to kind of understand where all of this, where all of you are coming from. When it, you know, when it's, it's okay to mourn, it's okay to be sad. You have to do this. is all part of the process. Uh, my my wife works within the death care industry as well, so I very much know all of that from her her perspective as well and so it's one of those things where if maybe maybe you're having trouble explaining something to a younger person then this would be a great time to come out to the museum and explain like this is why this is why this kind of stuff is important and why it's embedded into the cultural fabric of of our nation and why we make sure that we don't forget what's happening. And yes, you're right. We won't, we don't know every single individual. We never will. Exactly. But at the same time, it's important to show respect for what happened to these people.
1: And I think it's important also to show how we should never be forgotten. You know, why, why it's important. Um, to have the opportunity to mourn the loss of a human being, uh, to reflect on the life that was lived by that human being, uh, to understand the lives that person left behind and the impact that it had upon them, um, but importantly, you know, they always say, "Oh, know your history, so we don't repeat it again." Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it's know your history, so you never forget those that were important to us.
0: It's also thinking about how young somebody may have been when they, when they passed away that day and living up to your potential, knowing that, well, you know, this person was 26 in 2001 and so was I and they did not get to live to where I'm soon to be 48 at the time of this recording. And so thinking about that and reflecting on it. And this is something that I sort of taught myself um, when we go and visit my, my in-laws at the cemetery. Unfortunately, both my mother and my father, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law are, are deceased. And, and when we go visit them and a few spots down, there's a there's somebody, Jonathan Kyle Lunsford, who was born in the summer of the same year I was born. And I forget the birthday. But Sorry. you remember
1: his name, and that's important.
0: One day, he was here, and then he was gone. Yeah, and and it's so it's an exercise in in living up to your to your fullest potential. That there are people who, I mean, this guy didn't get to experience anything that I ever have gotten to experience, and so bringing it back to twenty to two thousand one. You know, the people who are my age.
1: Yeah. That, it, that it, Yeah. Like we're able to reach that age, you know, yeah. I, and I, and I reflect on that too, uh, on the death of my sisters, one of my sisters passed away at 39 and I kid you not when I turned 40, that was the hardest, hardest birthday. And I can still remember the impact that it had on me mm-hmm. because I thought how unfair she never got to be 40. Yeah. You know, we, you know we, we talk about birthdays as, oh, it's another year. But really a birthday is, wow, I got to have another year. What a know? gift. What a gift, yeah, because so many people don't get that, you yeah. know. And and there are so many people that don't get that choice to get that, you know. I mean, yeah, we all have choices in life. And there are, unfortunately, uh, you know, some people who take their lives. And I do want to speak to that. There are people that commit suicide because they feel that life they can't go on anymore, and we talked about that with the triple casket—that was a choice that they were going to make. And uh, you know, we're talking about grief and the impact that grief has on us, and uh, and we're and, and we have you know this constant um, almost like this bipolar conversation where we're talking about life, and in the next moment we're talking about death, and so it it it's um it's an up and it's a down and. I, I do want to say that you know sometimes suicide is because the grief is just too heavy. People just can't see out of it. Yeah. Um, and 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 again, um, if you do know somebody that you know is suicidal and has experienced um, some tragedy in their life, you know, do reach out to them.
0: And a lot of times, and all the time, actually, and that's the best thing that somebody can do is just reach out and make the effort and I mean I would like to think that even if they don't take your call or answer your text back they see that you called they see that that they mattered enough to for somebody to reach out to them and maybe they didn't have the energy or the bandwidth to take your call or answer your text they leave you on read that if you keep at it
1: yeah, it gave at it. They'll answer. Yeah, and, you know, I've seen, you know, death to me, uh, I've seen all the faces of death. You know, I've seen, uh, you know, with 9-11, it's the tragic face of death, right? People, uh, you know, didn't have a choice. Someone chose to take their lives. Uh, and then I've seen where disease took somebody's life. You know, my husband and I were talking about that last, in our last month's podcast of how uh, we have a very healthy friend who, whose life was snatched away by cancer, in 9-11, everyone's life was snatched away by the terrorists, and then you know there are people who take their own lives and and snatch their own life away. But it's because of the dark demons that lie within, um, and we don't know the names of those demons. You know, it could be a, a demon named grief, but unless we walk in their shoes, we do not understand. So I think it's important that we understand that death comes in so many forms and fashions. But I think the most popular one that we're exposed to are the tragic ones. You know, people who die at the hands of another person, and that seems to be what is most talked about. It's what's in entertain. It's in our entertainment uh, venues. It's in the news. But there's more faces yeah. to death than than what we're mostly exposed to.
0: Yeah, and bringing it back to to the conversation with Haley is that you only see that kind. You don't see everyday normal, boring death.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the death of uh, you know, that people just die naturally. You know, I, I'm working on a Queen Elizabeth exhibit and I actually have a copy of her death certificate from uh from the Scotland Yard. And when I looked at the cause of death, I just had this like, wow, finally. I haven't seen that face of death in forever, you know? Uh, and, and her face of death was old age. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what we all can hope for, right? That we die yeah. of old age in our sleep surrounded by our family, right? Or old age in our sleep peacefully, right. you know? And, and, and to see that on her death certificate was, I don't, it was just so peaceful. It was so odd. <laughs> because you know there uh, so many causes of death are, are, are disease or you know, a cardiac arrest secondary to respiratory failure, or you know, it's just all this other stuff, but I don't think I've ever, ever got to see a death say with this at old age.
0: Old age. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe I mean, the last one would be Betty White. Um, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, just last last month, uh, in pop culture, and he's from Houston, Patrick Swayze, and look at how he died—tragically, yeah. Tragically, pancreatic yeah. cancer. I mean, yeah. what? I mean, you talk about the worst of the worst. I mean, cancer is a demon in and of itself.
1: Oh, it is having yeah. the
0: deadliest form of cancer.
1: Uh-huh. I mean, we all will die. You know, it's 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 certain, right? And it's just we don't know how we're going to die. We don't know our method of death. We don't know what will take us to that final moment.
0: It's the unknown.
1: It's the unknown, and that's what's scary. Yeah, you know, and like I say, I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of how I'm going to die, and there are so many different exposures of death that I, you know, I like I said, I have been or seen um, that I I try to envision, you know, what that person went through, and I would be like, oh gosh, I that's not, I don't want that one. It's almost like I'm, 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 I'm filtering out the modes of death. Right. And I'd be like, I don't want that one. I don't want that. Okay. I can handle that one. No, I don't want that one. You know,
0: (laughs) you can go shopping at the Grim Reaper's death store. (laughs) What would you pick out? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, definitely not drowning. Oh, definitely not drowning. You know, for me, I just, I can't, um, I I can't even hold my breath very long when I'm taking a shower because I, you know, I have to breathe. I I can't hold my breath very long underwater. So definitely not drowning (laughs) for me. Um, And, and, and it just, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. I, I guess when death is your profession and death is your life and you have been exposed to death in in the manners that I have, right. It's, I'm not morbid. I'm just exposed. Yeah, you know, and because I'm, I have that level of exposure, like most people don't. Um, it puts me into a different thought process on mm. things. You know, I mean, I it's just I look at death very different.
0: I don't wish to put my thumb on the scale of how people live their lives. True. I would say that life would be a lot easier if more people. Kind of have that outlook, because I think yeah. it would people would find it not so bad.
1: Yeah, and if people would, I, I always like to use embrace. Right, yeah. when you think of embracing, you think of that as a as a comforting term, uh, arms wrapped around you, someone comforting you. Um, so it's like, how do you embrace death when death is not a comforting topic or subject matter? Um, but if you can embrace it in a way that you understand that we will all experience it. I like to think that people could have a more open concept to the fact that it has on everybody and it affects everybody differently. Yeah. And if we can respect that, like different religions, if we could respect that as well, I think we could have a more harmonial way of living our life.
0: Exactly. And that's part of the mission right here at the National Museum of Funeral History. In North Houston. So we hope to see you here, whether it's the 9-11 exhibit, whether it's the Shroud of Turin, the most famous burial of all time.
1: Or it's learning about the history of our presidents and the funerals that we had for them, because when a president dies, it affects the nation as well. Yep. Um, or if you just want to walk down memory lane and thanks for the memories and, and reflect again on the lives that people had that uh, entertained us, and they too are gone. I remember I was doing the Thanks for the Memory exhibit, and uh, we were focusing on the Wizard of Oz segment, and I remember I was watching a video on Dorothy, and I was holding the memorial folder of the lady who played Dorothy. And I sat back in my chair and in that moment I said, oh my gosh, Dorothy is dead. And I said, I never thought that Dorothy could die because Dorothy is never dead to me because she's forever alive in the movie, The Wizard of Oz.
0: And she looks the same.
1: And she looks the same.
0: Every time. Every
1: time. It was an epiphany. It was, it literally had. A freight train effect on me. I, I I was, I I can't believe it. She's dead. Dorothy's dead. I'm like, but movies keep them alive.
0: That's probably also why we have such a hard time with with historical figures, whether they're political leaders or uh, movie stars, musicians, because they remind us they remind us of a certain time in our lives that were the good old days, whether or not they were actually good. But they were the good old days back when back when we were young, or back in our twenties, or back in our thirties, or if you're eighty, back in our sixties. When oh yeah, I mean because yeah.
1: like you know you you can always remember back. I mean, thankfully, yeah, we are we're talking. You know, we, we, we started out our segment talking about a a, a time in life where it was very tragic, but now we're talking about remembering remembering some happy times, like you said, where we're watching. I remember watching The Wizard of Oz, and every time I watch The Wizard of Oz, I'm taken back to that moment. Yeah. You know, and interesting enough, you know, talking about that, my granddaughter, who is four, and she is hooked on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original one right now. Mm. You know, I think she's an old soul trapped in a young body. And she's watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, oh gosh, I think like maybe a dozen times already in the last month. Um, and because and, my daughter tells me about it all the time, so yesterday she was here, and I could, she walked into Thanks for the Memories, and she said, oh, Willy Hat!" <laughs> Out of everything in the museum, she recognized Willy Wonka's hat that we have. And when and think about it, when she's twenty years old, mm-hmm. and she sees Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory at twenty. He's still going to be alive to her. yeah, And she's going to remember that moment of perhaps coming to the National Museum of Funeral History and seeing Willy Wonka's hat. So we, we sit here and we, we, you know, we talk about these memories and how powerful they are to us. And, and some of them are positive memories. And unfortunately, some of them are negative memories. But it's all in how we allow them to be in our life and part of our life and how we walk through life with these memories.
0: And that's a wonderful way to wind it down. But before we do, there are some things happening this fall.
1: Yes the the museum is always a buzz at the at, at the fall time. October is our most popular month, and so we've got some awesome events lined up in October. On October the thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth, we are putting together a, the Witches Brew Market. Uh, kind of think of the Nutcracker Market, but for, for the Halloween time frame. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And so that's going to be October 13th, and you can get tickets online on our website at uh, We have You get a lot for your money, um, but we also – so we, the general admission ticket is $40, and you can upgrade to a VIP for $35 more, making it a $75 ticket, but you get an hour uh, early entrance. You will also get an extra drink ticket and you will be getting a commemorative uh, handmade wine cup from that states the witch's brew uh, from Nays Cups and Creations. And you'll be getting a pair of witchy earrings from Crazy Creations as part of your VIP package. And uh, so we hope to see you all here. We've got a lot of amazing vendors lined up to include some of those oddity vendors that you would expect to see at the national museum of funeral history. And then of course, if you love cars, you definitely, definitely have to come out to our annual Halloween car show on October 28th. Our parking lot will be full of fascinating cars dressed up for Halloween and we'll have a trunk or treat for children. Uh, there is an admission also for the car show. You can, you can go online and get all that information. We will also be putting on our family friendly haunted house for the month of October. And, uh, Again, all of that information will be online. And uh, we hope to see you all here in the month of October. We're really excited. And my staff is working really hard to put all these fun family events together for our community here in Houston at the National Museum of Funeral History.
0: Genevieve, thank you so much for letting me join you this episode.
1: Yeah, it was a hard episode, but I, I, I couldn't do this one solo. I think it was more, it needed to be a conversation.
0: Thank you. Hey, it's me. One quick favor before you hit stop on that podcast player. If you got value from this episode, please consider sharing with your family and friends, leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform, and signing up for the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com.